This is the lanky guy. We're the lanky guy. This, this is, is the we're are the weird on the hill. <laughs> this is the weird on the hill. And my name is Scott Powell, and my name is Scott Powell. No, it's not. <laughs> it's not. You wish it was. Today's uh, today's what is your name? Episode is sponsored by Red Bull. <laughs> what is your name, dude? Are you trying to what? What is your name? What is my name? What's my name? And I told you this before that that's the that's the answer that you give if you get in a you're the man fight. Oh yes, I do remember that. You're the man. No, you're the man. What's my name? And then you could say my name is Father Peter Musser. <laughs> <laughs> so we are sponsored by Red Bull and what is this? Trolley Sour Bright Gummy Worm Crawlers, dude. That woo. is fueling us today after our lunch of steak on top of. A bed of little smokies. <laughs> dude, it was it's called cows on a log. Dude. Cows on a log. <laughs> I I would like to it, take full credit for that name. Yeah, and and they're they the cows are crossing the stream of Red Bull with the <laughs> with gummy worms swimming in it as their rafts. <laughs> this is our stomachs are a disgusting place. Yeah, dude, you uh, have tuned in to the second Sunday of Advent, people. This is the second Sunday of Advent, and um, yeah. what? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh boy, the Red Bull's kicking in. Any shout outs for you? Caitlin Gruber! Caitlin Gruber. <laughs> There's nothing to oh. say other than her name. No, shout out. Shouted. Shout! Shout. And then um and then uh Lydia also tried to find our um uh, our podcast at the beginning. I know of thing. people are trying to find the first one. It's gotta be there. Dude, it's there's gotta be a, somewhere. There's a mysterious podcast floating well, in the Well, there ether. is a mislabeling on the website that, that has to be corrected. Scott Powell, I'm docking your pay. I'm not really gonna do that. I promise. I'm sorry. Okay. Golly. So you guys, um, I family's just, gonna starve. I just have to say that um, it was good to be back from Thanksgiving. Um, we actually pre-recorded the Thanksgiving podcast, and so lots has happened since we've seen you guys. Lots it's has been, happened. It's, it's a couple of weeks. Yep. Um, let's see. I went to my friend's wedding. Um, <laughs> okay. Which How was, was it? Uh, work out? Andy and Monica. It was awesome. Nice. They did. They did uh, things. Something I'd never seen before. What was it? They gave um, flowers to Mary. Really? And then bread to Saint that. Joseph. Really? Yeah. And I was like, dude, it was awesome. That it, is cool. It totally made me cry, and I was like, oh. I was just so thankful for their witness and their love. It was like, dude, it was the bomb. Nice. Yeah. So they'll shout out to them and to some them. love. Uh, and um, and to my family, to my family, mama, and mom, my daddy, dad, and everybody, everybody. So well, fantastic, everybody. So this year, um, in year C and second Sunday of Advent, our first reading is from Baruch Ata Elohim Baruch. Oh my, um, um Baruch. Ba- no, yes, yeah, Baruch five <laughs> one to nine. Yeah, you better believe it. So our first reading from Baruch. Our second reading also known as the Responsorial Psalm, is Psalm 126, verses 1 through 2, 2 through 3, 4 through 5, and 6. And then our second reading is from Philippians. Oh, don't... Never mind, just say it. Um, I was going to try to make a pun. I know. But you're much more of the pun person than I. I, Let's just keep moving. Let's plow through this. Okay, good job. Um, Philippians Mm. 1, 4 to 6, and then 8 through 11. Yeah, that's right. And our gospel is coming from Luke. This time. It's good news. It is, because now we're in the new liturgical year. So we're going to be in Luke for a while. Yes. Luke chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. It's kind of cool 
because Luke has more about the um, story of Jesus's birth than any of the other gospels. So we're in the liturgical year at Christmas time and Advent time that we get to hear all of the details about how all this stuff happened, which is cool. Boom. So there you go. Yeah. There you have it. There you have it. And uh, thank you guys for listening. It was really- uh, Okay. <laughs> See, this that's, is- You stole my joke, though. I know. That's my that's job. That's what's disgusting me about it. <laughs> did, did that hurt you inside a little bit? I stole somebody else's joke. You stole my joke. And now everybody else, when they start their podcast, are going to steal it from us. <laughs> the world is a dark, cynical place. So it uh, turns out that Baruch- Turns out that uh, Baruch was uh, probably the scribe of Jeremiah. Not probably. He. I, I mean, I think it, it's that's a fair certainty. Because so, what is it? Jeremiah twenty six actually names Baruch. Talks about him as the scribe. So they went for Baruch. Uh, okay. Come on, we were waiting for it. I mean, were like we? Uh, I was. No, you were. Um, and and uh, this is a post-exilic. Well. Or, okay. or intermediate exilic. What do you mean by that? It means that... Because this is... Eh. What, it, I, what I mean by that is that most likely they um, were in the process of getting kicked out of Jerusalem. Yeah. And oh, that, and, I, post-exilic in that sense. And that like that like they okay. were in the in media race, in the middle of things. Okay, okay. Because there, there is scholarship that suggests that the whole book of Baruch was written like way past the time of Jesus and around the time of the Maccabees. Oh. Like post-everything. Oh yeah, which I thought that was where you were headed down. And that's that's a no. I think that 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 we have firsthand witnesses and that we're getting to write this down and that they're very smart. And um, there you go. Well, yeah. So so what appears to be happening? Um, Baruch has been taken in the siege of Jerusalem, right? Jer- Jeremiah witnessed this. He was Jeremiah's um, scribe, right? Jeremiah mm. tells us the most in depth version of what happened when Jerusalem was taken over by the Babylonians and everything else. Baruch is presumably taken off into exile. He um, he, he himself him is not a bullfrog. Right. Good point. Thanks <laughs> for bringing thanks, that up. Thanks, you know. Um, Baruch is in Babylon. He's been taken off in the exile. And what this book is, the book of Baruch, uh, presents itself as a book, as a letter sent from Babylon back to the people still in Jerusalem. Right. Basically to try to give them hope, right? And this book, it, it's really, you can basically divide this book into three parts, right? Five parts. Okay. Yeah. I divide, I would divide it into three parts. Okay. Um, the first part is the problem, right? Okay. What's the problem? The problem is the exile, right? They're okay. in exile. Jerusalem's gone. It's been destroyed. They've been hauled off, right? Part two is, so that's really chapters one through three. Chap- the the second part is the solution. Oh, got it. Okay, I see what you're saying. Which is three, yeah, thematically. Thematically, okay, thematically, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Versus chronologically. Yeah, not of. necessarily chronologically, but just thematically, the solution is going to be basically the Torah. Well, I'll, I'll, we'll get there in a second. And then the third part is the promise, the future. So this is actually one of the most upbeat books in the Old Testament, which is surprising because it's being written in one of the darkest times that Israel's ever experienced. But... Part of what's so great about the book of Baruch is in this first part when they pose this problem, okay, where are we and how did we get here? There's a realization for the first time, you really get the sense on the, on the, on the part of Israel, there's a realization for the first time of, oh, that's what the prophets were all saying. That's what all these warnings were. We broke the covenant. 
We disobeyed God. We were unfaithful to the Torah. That's why we're in exile. We can go back and think about the warnings of the prophets and all of these different writings and say, oh, that's what's happening here. So the sense of Baruch, even though it's in the midst of this terrible moment, it's actually a pretty happy book because once you realize the problem, you can begin to figure out the solution. And right. this is the first time really in the Old Testament they figured out the problem. And they say, oh, that's how we got here. We didn't get it. We were blind to this. Now we see. And now we can work toward finding the solution in rejoining the Torah and, and asking God to get us out of this. Which what, what, we're, like, what we're seeing is the end of the song of rejoicing. So, so there's, a, there's a song that actually starts a little bit earlier in 430. Yeah. Um, and then what's happening is that we're actually like taking that, summarizing this after, like it, it's kind of the denouement of this letter. Oh, the denouement. The denouement. <laughs> the the oh, climax oh, oh, oh. and the summary. Oh. It's really fun to say the word denouement. Yeah. But it doesn't really make a lot of sense. No. So uh, I yeah. I really enjoy this reading, by the way. Well, what's cool about this reading, so again, now, once we move from the, realizing the problem, finding the solution, which is adherence to the Torah and to the covenants, now we move on to the time of promise, and God basically says, this is what will happen now. Because right. remember, God always consistently only punishes for the sake of restoration. He never punishes for its own sake. He's never angry for its own sake. He punishes, he takes away for the sake of rebuilding. And so Baruch can't be complete without the rebuilding, the showing. What, what's interesting about our reading, though, is it's this, um, it's this message actually directed at Jerusalem herself. Now, I know this is a letter or a book or whatever, whatever form this is in being written to the, the captives who are still in Jerusalem. But the, this um, oracle, so to speak, is actually directed to the city itself, which... Mm is one of the themes I want to sort of pull through these readings, the, the idea of the city being addressed. So it begins by saying, Jerusalem, take off your robe of mourning and misery and put on the splendor and glory of God forever. So yeah, it is written to the exiles, right? But it's also the, the Jewish understanding, there's this long-standing Jewish tradition of personifying the, the city of Jerusalem. That's what the book of Lamentations, which is written around the same time, is all about. Lamentations is a funeral dirge for the city of Jerusalem herself. Which this is actually going to be, um, yeah, a lot of people would actually have put Baruch next to Lamentations, actually RSV. As it should be. Like, like the, the, they're yeah. seeing that the connection between these two is, is really strong. And that's where it should be. And and I was having a vision as, as I was studying of this, um, particularly with what our kind of process is. Okay. Is that there are these little threads... And uh, these little threads, if you were to imagine each one of these words having a thread, that you can actually follow threads that lead throughout all of these different things. So, like, Jerusalem is the kind of core concept that you're seeing. Yeah. And where, whereas I'm actually, like, like the, the, the notion of exile and return um, yeah. is well, this theme. That, 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 those and, two can't be separated, though. Uh, exactly. Yeah. Well, actually, I, I I have to repent. I I now I see the point that you're saying, but that's that's that part that that I'm seeing, and it's really it's actually really cool on yes. how how that return comes about. Yeah. Oh well. I mean, do you, I, I yes, yes, yes. I mean, and and the exile, because yes. because yes. this is the thing that Baruch is already pro procla proclaiming this. Uh, it was making a proclamation of the return. Yeah, yeah, for sure. 
Yeah, the valleys will be filled and Israel well, may advance securely into the glory of God. And like It's quoting um, Isaiah, what you just read. So it says, up Jerusalem, stand up on the heights, look to the east and see your children gathered from the east and the west by chillins. the word of the Holy One, your chillins. Because remember, Israel has been scattered now. The children of, of Jerusalem are scattered to the four winds. So now, so what we're seeing is the return from the exile, the undoing of the exile mm-hmm. from a number of different perspectives. In the first reading, the perspective we get on the end of the exile is from Jerusalem itself. What does it look like from Jerusalem? What is Jerusalem seeing? Well, she's seeing her children scattered. She's seeing them led away by their enemies. She sees God bringing them back. And when he brings them back again, Baruch sort of paraphrases Isaiah that says, every lofty mountain will be made low and the age old depths and gorges will be filled to level ground so that Israel may advance uh, secure in the glory of God. The, fr- the forests are fragrant in every kind, and it's going to be oh, beautiful and oh, wonderful. Oh, but, but listen to this. Oh, what? Okay, I, I, was, I was reading in the New American Revised Edition. Nab. The nab. The forests and every kind of fragrant tree have overshadowed Israel at God's command. Overshadowed Israel at God's command. Yeah, dude. Okay, so this is the thing. Uh, when do you hear the word overshadowed? I mean, come on. Oh, the uh, tabernacle. Ooh. That's that, the first time. And then Elizabeth. And then Mary. When God descended into the tabernacle, though, in Exodus, it was the, the tra- proper transliteration is he overshadowed it. And yes. then, of course, Mary. Yes. When, uh, what's the word? It's in Luke. Uh-huh. We'll get to it uh, next week or the week after. Yeah. So what is, when does a fragrant tree overshadow Israel at God's command? The cross. The cross. Oh my gosh! Ooh, so interesting. so so we have this this actually really beautiful expression yes. of like uh, connecting us to what's going to happen in our gospel. Yes, you're 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 speaking. You're, you're I talk. We're to heading you. in the same place here because, in addition to this kind of reading from the perspective of Jerusalem, it's also so. What does it mean? And we've talked about this with regard to Isaiah, I think, before. What does it mean when the scriptures say that every lofty mountain will be made low, the gorges and depths will be filled in so that Israel can travel someplace? What, what's this describing? Well, he, this is the thing is I remember in my training um, talking about how they used to put like gods on big carts and like tra- and travel them around in procession. So it would it, it kind of talks about gods on it's like it has like a, a cultural reference of gods on wheels. <laughs> <laughs> and that you would actually need a level ground to be able to move them because they're big and cumbersome. But I I know that you have a deeper insight than just that. No, I have a much more shallow insight. Oh. Which is just, it's describing road construction, which is exactly what you're saying. Yeah. There's no description here about um, God's being mobile, though. The idea is God's people are mobile, right? And they're coming back to God's holy city. So if we want them to get back... The only way to do it is to level the mountains and fill in the gorges and basically level everything and create a highway. This is highway construction being described, which Isaiah describes it in even more depth, right? And he goes on about the the way of preparing the way of the Lord, right? Um, Baruch is paraphrasing that. And Mm. he's saying, look, everything that Isaiah long ago predicted was going to happen, he predicted the city was going to fall. He predicted that these enemies would come in. He predicted our unfaithfulness, but he also predicted that after all that, God would fill in these valleys and bring down these high places so that we could all come back home. Right. So there's a road being prepared so that we can come back home. And embedded in this homecoming is a tree overshadowing God's people. So mm. keep all that imagery. Hang on to that. And that, that takes us into the psalm, right? A song of ascent. 
Yeah, it's one of the Psalms of Ascent, right? Psalm 126. Um, There's a certain level that this is just self-explanatory. The Lord has done great things for us. We are filled with joy. Those who go forth weeping, carrying sacks of seed, will return with cries of joy, carrying their bundled sheaves. (laughs) Bundle your sheaves, baby. Bundle bundle sheaves. But even, I I mean, even the first part, I mean, this Psalm, I love the Psalm. It's a narrative of the return. It's probably, you know, we're not sure exactly when the Psalm was composed, after they'd returned from exile, so maybe sometime approaching the time of the Maccabees, you get the sense in this psalm, the sense that I get in this psalm, is that the people of God are once again kind of being brutalized, um, being oppressed, getting beat up, wondering when God will bring them out of the mess. This is them thinking back and, and saying, remember when God acted for us in this way. Remember when we came back to Israel from, from Babylon, just like their psalm saying, remember when we came out of the Exodus, remember all these times and ways that God saved us. And what it says is when the Lord brought back the captives from Zion, we were like men dreaming and our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with rejoicing. We were like men dreaming. In other words, it felt like it was too good to be true. Right. It was so, and I, I love the description. We were, la- there was laughing and rejoicing and it felt like a dream. And Cries it was this, of joy, like, woohoo. Yeah, I mean, imagine, I, I don't know. I don't know what to imagine. I mean, I was going to say like coming home after many, many years, but I mean, it's more than that. Well, this is the thing is, is that's actually, I think, a really great lead into Philippians. Is it? Yeah, because like, listen to this. It says, um, um, I am confident of this, that the one who began a good work in you will continue to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. See, like in our hearts, I think one of the things that happens is that like we like the timing of God is long. And in fact, it it can be hard to believe that God is going to answer and respond to our prayers. And like, because that's hard and you're like, how is this ever going to be okay? I mean, we all got that stuff. You got that stuff. I got that stuff. How is this ever going to be okay? And then when it's okay, it's like, yeah, like, like, it's almost like you can, you would burst out of your skin if your prayer was answered. Yeah. You would be like, I cannot believe that this is possibly happening right now. That, or there's also that emotion of. You know that feeling when you're just terrified of something and you're so scared of something that's about to happen and then either kind of it passes or it's accomplished or it's done and you have this sort of after feeling where you're just kind of giggly. You're just like, mm. it's, it's over. There's this weight that's lifted now. Right. Have you ever had that feeling of just, you're just laughing. You're just like, everything's fine. Everything's okay. Like, I, I mean, I, I remember certain times at Camp Wojtyla, you know, when the final group will have left. You know, there was this one one year where we had, it was just a hard week with these campers and God did profound things. And it was one of those weeks where I was like, how can I possibly have this responsibility of, of leading these kids to Jesus Christ and all these things that they're bringing? And, you know, there was drama and there's all sorts of stuff going on that it's over. And you're like, oh, we did it. We made, or God did it. It's over. We did this. We're, you know, it's done. It's accomplished. You know what? You know what I mean. Do you know that emotion? That's always what the emotion that I'm seeing when they're coming back. They're like, we're we're free now. We don't have this burden on our shoulders anymore. We're we're. I don't know. Yeah. I, there's so many different converging ways you can read this. It's like that in a moment, beautiful way. And that moment of profound levity, but like that that. But at the same time, that it's the birthing of it that is actually what brings the levity. 
Like because yes. it it's profound and difficult. It's it's like yeah. it's like how could you have ever known about the resurrection of Jesus right. and the fragrance of the cross? Right. Like and because because this is the thing is is that it's in the 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 shade of a tree in the scorching heat is profound. Yeah. And and it's like oh my gosh the sense of relief and I really like what you're talking about. I think it's levity almost. You know. Yeah. Yeah. I, I... And, I think and, you're right. And that's where Philippians, he says, because of your partnership for the gospel from the first day until now, it's yes. like there's a partnership in the midst of this cross that there every time, I mean, the, the cross really is the prototypical reality for all of reality. It is reality. It's the death and the resurrection. Yes. Here's the thing, though, about Philippians. And here, so there's, there's, I don't, mean, don't Philippi out on ah, me. I think you can find lots of spiritual connections, though, mm-hmm. but I think there's a textual connection as well. Um, okay. One of the themes, the deep themes, and this is really important, I think. One of the deep themes of Philippians is the theme of citizenship. It's one of the most important thing that Paul pulls out of this letter. So remember Philippi, it was a Roman province. It was it was the place where retirement a retirement community for the uh, old Roman con- converts. Military. Military. But not just con- uh, the old Roman military, but then there's a lot of converts in the town. Uh, you mean Christian converts? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, presumably. But but if you take Christianity out of it, even just predate Christianity, dude, keep, the city keep of Philippi. Keep Christ in Christmas, Oh, dude. come on now. Stop it. <laughs> But the city of Philip before Christ came, the city of Philippi was. It's just. It's very important politically. It's the retirement, like you said, retirement community for um, for Roman military people, the highest level Roman military people. So these are the people. The people who lived in Philippi are people who value their citizenship in Rome above all else. They gave their lives for the empire. They gave their lives for Caesar, and now they're reaping all the benefits of giving themselves to this great polis, this great city of Rome, right? Now they have all the tax breaks and the the um, you know, the money and all sorts of all of the all of the benefits and and glories that their hard-earned work has gotten them, right? Mm-hmm. So their citizenship in Rome is probably one of the most important things that the Philippians have going for them. Paul challenges them basically to reject all of that and see their citizenship as a citizenship in heaven. And that's where um Remember around the uh, the canonic hymn, the hymn of kenosis, where he says Christ emptied himself and became in the form of, even though he was in the form of man, became a slave and poured himself out. Right. Right before he says that, he tells the Philippians, citizen yourself in a manner of life worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. In other words, understand where your citizenship lies. Right. And if you understand that, if you live that... It will. It should look like this, and then he goes on to the canonic hymn about Jesus self-emptying. Mm. But the whole thing is about realize where you're a citizen. I think that's interesting because what are the first two readings all about? It's all about this longing to go back to our city. Jerusalem is still there. We want Jerusalem back. When we went back in the psalm to Jerusalem, we were like men dreaming and this levity and this burden lifted all of these things because our citizenship was finally to be restored. So now all of these readings have been leading us toward a pathway, a road that leads us back to the city, which is our home. Hmm. And now you get Philippians, which begins to slowly and very subtly twist the theme of the citizenship a little bit on its head. And you might want to read this piously and think, well, the, the citizenship in Jerusalem, this is a different kind of a citizenship because this is God's capital city. This is the people of Israel. This is where God's throne was and where he set up his tabernacle. So that's a good thing, and it is. But we have to be careful about how we're going to use the citizenship. And I think that's what the gospel 
then is going to fully unpack for us. Does that make any sense? Yeah, it does. So I think the citizenship of Philippians is a, is a big one for at least the theme that I'm seeing, which is this theme of Jerusalem, cities, cities, cities. and such. So Luke chapter three. Now this is this is actually so we're we're jumping around in Luke a little bit. This actually comes right after Jesus is born. Um, so I, even though we're reading this during Advent, Jesus has already been born by this time. Well, but but, the, but chronologically, it really makes sense because Elizabeth was six months at the time that, of Jesus' conception. When Mary finally visits Elizabeth. This isn't that, though. Yeah. Oh, this is right. This is the conception. Oh, you're right. No, this is just John out in the wilderness. Everybody's grown up by this point. Okay. I... But it's okay. Hey, man. No, it's Hey man, it's totally cool. Oh, I forgot a whole point I, just, I wanted to make. I was just caught up in the mystery. No, it's yeah, you should be there. I forgot a whole point I wanted to make though. I just wanted to point. Well, no, I'll, I'll point it at the end. Well, okay. Well, okay. I have I have an insight because what, what we start to talk about the tetrarchs. Yep. Um, do you know what the word tetrarch means? Why don't you tell me? <laughs> take some. Of your, course, I do. Take some of your own medicine. I know what it means. <laughs> I just don't know if they all know what it means. Oh, so why I, don't you tell us? Oh, you are you are Thank absurd. You. I am hilarious. You're hilariously absurd. Um, it, it's a uh, four regions. Oh, obviously. So, so like so, Tetris. Like Tetris. Is Tetris four regions? No. <laughs> I was like, I was, I'm like looking at all the pieces in my mind. No, I started playing Tetris in my brain. I know. Um, but it, look, look, it's okay. So you just have, um, um, Caesar who's over all. And then you have Pontius Pilate, um, Herod, Philip, and, uh, Lysanias. So you have four guys, part of the four regions of, uh, they're oh. all, tet- they're all tetrarchs yep. because they're taking care of. The four regions. I was like, what does Tetrarch mean? We yeah. we just like, that's like co- cop it up to Bible land, but yeah, yeah. it ain't that good. Well, that's and, cool. So then, and then you have Annas and Caiaphas. So you're establishing all of what the authorities are yes. in the midst of this. And then here comes the guy who's, who's this like weird boundary walker. Yes. Who's, who's, who's actually like, <clears throat> he, he's going to transcend all of these crazy boundaries, both at the edge, because he's, what is he, where is he ministering? Out in the wilderness. In, around the Jordan. To the east. To the east. And so, so he's like walking on the boundary of Israel, but then like messing with the Tetrarchs and the four regions, because um, these guys were presumed, like, why would you get only a quarter of a region? Yeah. is because you're not that strong yeah. to be able to do all of it. So it's saying these are four weak powers. Mm. <laughs> who had yeah. to be broken up underneath yeah. this kind of reality. Whereas John, what does he do? He like transcends the priesthood, all of these yes. powers, and he's saying, repent, everybody. Well, now what, here's what's interesting about John, though. Um, I think that's a huge insight with the power structure and then juxtaposed with John. Mm. Um, all of the other readings are leading us toward a city, toward the city. Mm. The last reading is leading us away from it. Ooh. And this is setting us up for everyone is going to leave Jerusalem to come out to John, hear what he has to say. And and then we get the, the prophet Isaiah, which was alluded to in Baruch, is quoted here. Luke Ooh. points out a voice of one crying in the desert, prepare the what? The road, the highway of the Lord. Make straight his paths. Every valley shall be filled. Every mountain and hill shall be made low. The winding roads made straight and the rough ways made smooth and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. Get the road ready. Prepare the way. Baruch used this prophecy as a way of showing our return to Jerusalem. And what is Jerusalem? It's the homeland. It's where God dwells. 
What is this leading us to? It's actually leading us away from Jerusalem. But here's the thing. Do you remember what the first Christian, remember Christians weren't originally called Christians? 24. In I'm just, I just threw out a number. <laughs> <laughs> what did, what did the first believers and followers of Jesus call themselves? Um, it uh, wasn't Christians. Uh, people of the way. Yeah. They called themselves the way. What do you think they meant by it? Well, think about this. I mean, most of them were Jewish at the beginning. So if you're thinking of way, which means literally road or highway. Okay? And, and when you say way, you don't, you're not spelling it W H E Y. Way. Way. Put some way in my protein shake. <laughs> yeah. No. Um, W-A-Y. So if you're thinking like a Jew, what's the most important road that someone traveled in the Old Testament? Um, the road to Emmaus. In the Old Testament. The road to Rome. Are you messing with me? Yeah. Okay. What's the most important <laughs> journey that someone took? They would pilgrimage up to Jerusalem. No. What? Think about it. Dude. You're a Jew. Uh-huh. Okay. The most important trip that someone took in the Old Testament. Um, Whole family's going on a trip someplace. Oh, in the Old Testament? Yeah. What forms the whole Jewish understanding? Uh, 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 is it... Um, what is, is the... Found- hold on, hold on. Is, okay. is Adam and Eve leaving no. the Garden of Eden? No. That's a pretty important trip. All of these have something to do with it, but if you're um, a Jew, there is one story of people traveling that trumps everything else. Um, Abraham. No. Leaving the, or the Chaldees. No. Um, it's, uh, somebody's yelling into their phone right now. Um, it's, uh, uh, let me guess. Hold on, hold on, hold on. I got, I got it. Uh, it's when th- the people go down to Egypt to get the food from Joseph. Keep going. And then they come back. What do they call that? The Exodus? Yes, the Exodus. Oh, the Exodus. <laughs> Sorry. No, it's all right. I just, this is how I, this is no, how no, my no, brain this is works. good though. It's like salvation Because mystery. all of those play into it. All paths for the Jewish mindset lead to the Exodus. Even this path of, uh, out of Babylon, they are saying it's like a new Exodus when we were released from Babylon, all these things. But everything is being read in the, in the frame of the Exodus because right. it's the story par excellence for the Jews, right? Right. So you're, you're, at first, you're an early Christian, right? You have a Jewish mentality. You're thinking about a path someone traveled. You're thinking about, yeah, the release from Egypt. You're thinking about this reading going back to Jerusalem from Babylon. You're thinking about a movement from slavery to freedom, Right. From hardship to levity, right? Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah. But you're also thinking about something else. You're thinking about how Jesus then fulfilled that. So if you're thinking in terms of a path or a highway or a way being a movement from slavery to freedom, from hardship to this levity, to this freedom that makes you want to laugh and rejoice, and then you're going to superimpose that on another road or a highway that Jesus walked. What's the most important path that Jesus walked? Uh, is it the uh, one of his passion? I'm pretty sure. The way of the cross. So you're an early Christian. You're not called Christian yet. You take on the name the way. What do you think they're thinking of? They're thinking of a movement from slavery to freedom, (coughs) from a release from exile back home, but you're superimposing that onto the way of the cross. What is the way home? What is the levity? What is this road we're going to take that's so joyful that we're laughing and it's like a dream to us? Oh, it's the way of the cross. So then you're imagining these people reading Psalm 126 about it was, we were like men dreaming because we were taking this road to our freedom. Oh, that happens to be the road to Calvary. 
right? Which this is, is the Christian paradox. Which is when you look back and then you read in Baruch, you say, here, here we go, here are these people traveling, and what do they get shade from but the fragrant tree? And the, right, the, the, that's for, why that's such a profound insight ex- you brought in. Exactly, for God is leading Israel in joy by the light of his glory with mercy and justice that are his. You're like... Right. Oh my gosh, all of a sudden you're like, boom, yeah. you're like Baruch, Baruch, and then Philippians, and then the yeah. and the Psalm, you're like, this is the real stuff. And Isaiah, I mean, Isaiah, wow. And what Philippians is beginning to lead you toward, which John the Baptist is going to show in its fullness, well, begin to show, yeah. is that the path to freedom is not just Jerusalem, it's the heavenly Jerusalem. It's God's presence come down to earth. That's the new Jerusalem. It's not just a city in the Middle East anymore. It's actually flesh and bone. God himself become incarnate. He is the new heavenly Jerusalem, the new temple that we're all progressing to. So if he's going to show up in the wilderness east of Jerusalem out by the Jordan, then that's where our path had better take us. So what you see the New Testament doing, Luke literally reverses the direction of what Baruch said the path was supposed to be. Right. He says, no, go the other way. Exactly. Which is fascinating. But Isaiah does say out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Baruch just points that wilderness into Jerusalem. Luke says, no, we got to start by going the other way first. We, we actually, and then Jerusalem we, itself, God made man, will progress to Jerusalem to be crucified to save all of it. And then it shows, again, the pattern on Emmaus when they walk away from Jerusalem, and it's like, nope, wrong direction, and the Lord propels them back in. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Until, until they, it's like this profound reclaiming. Yeah, absolutely. I, I actually think about, I was thinking about this, um, for a, a liturgical gesture of a lector being called forth from the community into the sanctuary. Mm. And what I realized is that it's it's actually the prophetic action that the prophets are those who are called into the heaven rea- heavenly reality to proclaim what's actually taking place in an eschatological or a fully revealed way, and then returning back to their normal lives. It's yes. like the, the, the particular prophetic expression so that those lectors are now representing the prophets of old who came, saw what was actually taking place in the sanctuary, proclaimed it, and then returned into their lives. Yeah. And, and, for, and, and then Christ, who remains in the sanctuary, a priest is supposed to remain in the sanctuary during it, makes sense of all of it. And so you say, oh my goodness, this is amazing. And, that, and that, like, that, that's actually where this like, exile and return, it's like, it's like, oh yeah, what we're seeing is it's going to give us a paradigm for our whole lives yeah. that says that everything that we're doing in this life is a returning, that the Lord's good work that he began in us is going to be brought to completion. Yes. That, that's why we can have confidence that there's going to be a time when the pure levity of soul and life is going to match even our bodies. Like, because Jesus, what, what happened in his glorified body, it was, it was just light. It, it could pass through walls and express itself um, in substantial and insubstantial ways because he was totally unbound and, and by anything. And it's just really cool. Yes, totally. Totes. So you all should try to be unbounded as well by your heavenly bodies. What? That didn't, that didn't make sense. I didn't know how to bring it home. Just trying to land it, Father Peter. Dude, I could just keep talking. Do you want me to? No. You guys are the best. We will be back next week. We will be back next week. a brand new episode for the third Sunday of Advent. Yeah. 
And uh, we love you guys. Send us an email. Send us uh, your own shout-outs on Facebook. Th- thanks for everybody who emailed us this week. And Thank uh, you. If you uh, keep going in, uh, in Daniel, you'll <coughs> discover that... Uh, um, that Scott was always correct. That Scott... <laughs> no, that, no, that, no. That, that it just takes a little bit of time for the fulfillment to take place. Indeed, indeed. All right. We will be back next week. Like I said, um, I already said all those things. Goodbye, everybody. Bye.